come to do today's reading, which comes from James chapter 1, starting at verse 22. It's page 1213 in the Church Bibles and 1840 in the Large Print Bibles. Comes under the higher heading, Listening and Doing. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or you sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? For you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself you are doing right. Thanks be to God for his word. Thanks, Helen. We'll do keep that um, passage open in James. Uh, If you're joining us, if you come back from holiday, we're in number two of a little five-week series, uh, and the series is called A Heart For... Uh, Last week, A Heart For The Hurting, thinking about um, seeing the hurt around us, stepping towards pain, and just sitting with people who are hurting, not trying to fix people, Not always having answers, but just loving people who are hurting. This week we're thinking about um, a heart for the vulnerable. It will build a bit on last week, and then we'll go and look at something a bit different next week. Do you know that God doesn't like religion? And neither really should we. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, some of the harshest words that Jesus ever spoke were words spoken to religious leaders. God doesn't like religion. The problem is, with what I've just said, it's a very loaded word, religion, isn't it? We all have different understandings of religion. Um, A lot of religion around the world, religions of other faith, are very sincere. And that in itself is an honourable thing. But it's very possible to be very sincere, but be sincerely misunderstood or misguided in understanding the heart of God. Uh, worldly religion essentially is seeking two things one is seeking the approval of others uh, their respect perhaps the other is seeking the approval of god if i do good things then god will love me that's worldly religion and it's an honorable thing 
But it's not a God-honoring thing. God-centered religion is very different because God-centered religion is all about receiving the approval and the love that we cannot find by doing something. Christians don't have to go after the love of God because he loves people. Christians don't have to go after the respect of God because he loves people made in his image. That's the difference. And if we can receive vertically the love that God has for us, which is utterly astonishing, and we were considered it at the start of the service in the little time singing that song and with the illustration of the string. If we can receive God's love vertically, that is then what transforms the way that we love each other in a horizontal sense. Do you notice the vertical and the horizontal? It's the shape of a cross. Because the cross-shaped love is all, cross-shaped life is a life that is all about loving God first and loving my neighbor as myself. If you look in our passage, maybe um, the summary verse for the whole of the book of James comes in chapter 1 verse 22. It's a kind of foundation for the whole letter that James writes. He says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And that is an anchor for so many different truths that James explores in his letter. And he gives an illustration, verse 23. Do you notice what it is? Um, anyone who listens to the word of God but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately and forgets what he looks like. Now when you first wake up in the morning, maybe you've got bed hair, maybe that's a good thing. You see yourself in the mirror and it's a very good thing. You get that image out of your head as quickly as possible. But once you've got dressed and had your shower and you're looking more respectable, then read the illustration again. If I were to look in the mirror when I've smartened up and I've freshened up and then forget what I look like, that is a bit like what it's like when I look at the word of God. Maybe I hear the word of God, but I walk out the door and I just forget everything I've heard. See, listening here, according to James, equals not forgetting. You know the old phrase, uh, it goes in one ear and out the other ear? Um, perhaps selective deafness, which sometimes can be useful. For the Christian, it should be like this. The word of God speaks and it comes in one ear and doesn't go out the other ear, but sinks deep into our heart and stays there. But how often when you hear the word of God, does it come in one ear and go out the other ear? Just like every other word you might hear. But God says, I want your word to come in your ear, into your heart and stay there. And that's what James here is talking about. Have a look down at verse 25, and he goes on a bit further. He says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and without going into lots of depth as to what that means, in summary it's speaking about obedience to the word of God and a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone looks at Christ, in other words, and looks at his word and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. Those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So what James is getting at here is that true religion, God-centered religion, not human man-centered religion, is an active thing. It's a response. The vertical, how God has loved me, transforms the horizontal, how I'm to treat other people. And perhaps one of the best ways that we can illustrate whether or not we've understood the vertical love God has for us, that love that goes on and on and on, that love that is so selfless, that love that looks at you even when you don't love him and says, I still love you. And a good litmus test for whether we've understood the vertical, we see in verse 27. 
Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, what James is saying is that true God-centered religion is a response to the vertical that seeks to then consistently live out that love in love for those around me. Love is a response to the vertical love that God has. True religion is a response to the vertical love God has for me that is then lived out in the love that we have for those around us. And isn't that one of the most, isn't one of the most powerful displays of that kind of love, the way that we treat those in society who are vulnerable? And here in the illustration, orphans and widows, just two kind of categories perhaps of vulnerable people. But you'll think of all sorts of other people who are vulnerable, those who are oppressed, those in society who have no voice, those who have few prospects, those who in some senses are invisible. There are lots and lots of vulnerable people. And as I look around the room, as I look in my own heart, you and I have lots and lots of vulnerabilities too. As strong as macho as at times we might feel we are. So how do you respond to the vulnerabilities around us? Well, here are three ways. There's three boxes here. You can know about the vulnerable in society around us and you can respond. You can know about the vulnerable in society and do nothing. Or you cannot know about the vulnerable. You see, box one is love, isn't it? I know and I respond. That's love. Box two is selfishness. I know and I don't do anything. Box three is ignorance. I'm perhaps just so busy or living in my little bubble, I don't see the need around me. But I want us to consider where we are and how our heart heart responds to the vulnerability in ourselves and in other people as we reflect on those three boxes. Here's a a few little illustrations. One that we've talked about a little bit in the church in recent days, Home for Good, a wonderful charity, kind of based in Tame and with a director living locally. Uh, The vision, and Wellesley talked about this uh, not long ago at the um, prayer meeting, the vision for Home for Good is a home for every child who needs one. Isn't that a wonderful vision? Who would not want a child to have a home? And the really frightening thing that we're told by Home for Good that I think should get us in here is the truth that if every church in the UK fostered or adopted one child, there would not be a single child in the UK who needs fostering or adoption. Isn't that amazing? There's a need, a massive need. And there is a solution. And yet the solution is never reached because so many churches and individuals turn away. See, we can see the need. Home for good, tell us what the need is. Do I know and respond? Do I know and do nothing? I can't now say I don't know because we've heard the vision. It's quite challenging, isn't it? Think of another one. Um, Pilgrim Friends Society is a wonderful organization that seeks to be a blessing to those who are older in years. And their vision is to enable older people to flourish. I love that vision. We're going to think a bit about that in the week when we talk about a heart for older people. Enable older people to flourish. And yet, you won't have to go very far to recognize that for so many people, particularly those who are on their own in older age, desperate loneliness. Desperate loneliness. Third little example. Think of the charity Mind. This is a charity that's helping people um, who have mental health issues or those who are supporting those with mental health issues. Well, Mind tell us that just take, for example, the, the pandemic of... Um, 
anxiety and depression. They reckon about eight in every 100 people suffer from this, which means on a typical Sunday here in church, there are at least 20 people here who genuinely suffer from some form of anxiety and depression. That's huge. And I know quite a few people for whom that is true. And I've had my own experience of those things. And so I reckon there's at least 20 looking around this room. There's lots and lots of vulnerability. And that doesn't even begin to get to all the issues around child protection, abusive relationships, alcohol and drug abuse, the vulnerability of so many of our prisoners and how broken the system is, homelessness, immigration, the list goes on. Our society is absolutely plagued with vulnerability. It's all around us. And I'm sure we can recognize the vulnerability in our own hearts. But what I want us to do this morning is to think about how does the Christian gospel, the love of God, the love that is so selfless and goes on and on and on, how does that help us to engage with the issues around us? And particularly, how does it move us from box three to two and particularly then from box two to one? Let's consider it. Do you remember last week I asked us the question, um, do we have a heart for those who are hurting? And I asked a sort of rhetorical question. Can anyone sort of shout out, what do you think is the biggest stumbling block to us having a heart for the hurting? What was one of the little phrases we used last week? Someone else will. You see someone who's hurting and maybe our first reaction is to go, well, someone else will care. Particularly in a big church, there's lots of people who could help. So I'll just step away from the pain because somebody else will. Well, I'll be a little bit provocative now, but going back to the illustration of home for good. There's a vision. Every child who wants a home can have one. There's a potential solution. Every church in the country, one person stepping up, one family stepping up, solves the problem. Just apply that little illustration. Someone else will to that one. Of course, there are lots of people in this room for whom it wouldn't be legitimate. Wrong life stage cycle, other legitimate issues in life, it means it's impractical or unwise. Of course, I get all that. But there'll also be people in the room who go, you know what? I could be that person. Our family could be those people. We could. But if we're really honest, perhaps deep in our heart, one of the things we're thinking is, someone else will. The woods, the bowls, the wells is in time, or another family who've already done it. And it's wonderful that they are, but there will be people in this church, and you know deep in your heart you're thinking, I could do something about this. I could, but it will cost me. It cost me money, it will cost me my time, it will cost me my freedom. Gosh, I've already brought up some children, I was looking forward to some downtime. It will really cost me, because I'm going to go back to the beginning again. But if we have the attitude someone else will, if we apply that to all the areas of life where we see vulnerability, guess what happens? <laughs> vulnerability stays all around us. And as I give us that kind of challenge, I ask myself the same question. Home for Good or for any other organization that's seeking to reach the lost. We have to think about it seriously. Paul, when he wrote to young Timothy in Ephesus, said this, In end times people will be lovers of themselves. That's not a good thing. And one of the reasons we can be a lover of self is because we're more concerned about our comfort than we are about doing the will of God. Now, I'm not saying, hear this clearly, I'm not saying if we don't get involved in, just take the illustration of home for good, I'm not saying if you now don't get involved, you don't care. Completely not saying that. But what I am saying is, if I'm not going to be involved, is the reason because I love self too much? That's worth asking the question of. There might be another very legitimate reason. But if the reason deep down is just I love myself and my comfort too much, then we've got to ask questions of it. 
And I recognize that a lot of that is quite challenging. It's quite kind of in your face. You have to trust me that I've had to search my own heart on those things all week. And I'm thinking and praying about it myself. But there are some sort of negative reasons why we ought to get involved with the vulnerability. There is a sense of guilt that should be induced sometimes, a sense of responsibility. I'll leave that with us to consider. But what I'd like to do is look at the issue now in a positive sense. Because as well as there's a big problem and sometimes we need a bit of a kick up the backside to really think about it. Actually, the Bible gives us some incredibly positive reasons why we should care for the vulnerable. And I want us to consider them. Here's the first one. A bit like last week in terms of structure. Jesus Christ had a heart for you at your most vulnerable. Do you read in James chapter 2? Do you notice verse 1? James says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a question for you. If you're a Christian, right? Is the gospel that you profess faith in glorious to you? Glorious? How much God has loved me? How much he's done for me? How much he pursues me when I reject him? How faithful he is to me? Does it move my heart? Does it cause me to smile? Does it get me up in the morning? Of course there'll be times in our life where that's not true, but then we need to recalibrate our hearts. Has the gospel captured us? See, it's easy to forget the glory of the gospel. And when we forget the glory of the gospel, what we forget is that you and I were deeply vulnerable before God found us. That wonderful words of Paul in Romans 5, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still far off, Christ died for us. He came after us while we were vulnerable. So a positive reason to reach out to others who are vulnerable is to recognize just how much God has done for me, for it to move me. Good being up here. It's no good knowing the Bible inside out, back to front if it's not in here. But when I understand how glorious the gospel is, it moves me. It moves my emotions in whatever way that we display emotion. Suddenly there's an amazing good reason to respond to the vulnerability around me. Think of Jesus, Matthew chapter 9. He's speaking to his disciples. He sees the crowds. He has compassion on them. For he sees them as those who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you think most of the world who don't know God would consider themselves harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Of course not. In a physical sense, perhaps not. But in a spiritual sense, and this is true of all of us, in a spiritual sense, that is exactly what we are. We are like sheep without a shepherd. We are harassed and helpless. We're longing to be loved and we go everywhere to find love. But it never really satisfies in the way that his love alone can satisfy. There's a really good reason to care for the vulnerable. When the gospel recaptures my heart and I recognize how loved I am. What a joy then to go and help other people who are vulnerable. Because every time I spend time with a vulnerable person, it's a mirror of my own heart. And God has loved me in my vulnerable state. There's a good reason. Here's the second one. Jesus Christ calls us not to show favoritism. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. And then he gives an illustration, verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. There we have someone who's respectable, professional, has it together. And we have someone whose life's a mess. 
James says, if you show special attention to the man, the woman wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Let me tell you a true story. Um, There was a pastor in a church kind of like this in a kind of wealthy middle class kind of area. And uh, he was preaching on this particular passage. And amazingly, on that day, as he came to preach on this passage, uh, a man started walking up the path. Just imagine it's our church, right? He starts walking up the path, and he's very disheveled. He's wearing a really dirty old long coat. He's got a very long and unkept beard, scraggly hair. And he stinks. Hasn't had a shower in weeks. And he kind of walks up the path, and the lead steward at church sees him. And you know what's going on in their head. They would never say it. But they're thinking, Flip, he's not coming in here, is he? What will we do? And the homeless man walks up to the front gate of the church and he starts walking in the building and the, the steward's kind of looking around. Where's the lead steward? They can deal with this. We've never had this before. But reluctantly, the steward lets the homeless person into the church. But of course, they don't want to create a bit of a scene and they've never really responded to this sort of thing before. So they escort the homeless person. They sort of sit in the corner, out the way, or up in the balcony. So not going to have too much contact with too many people, not disrupt the service. It's all very nice. They're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Everyone's dressed really nice in church. Everyone smells wonderful. This man doesn't. And the service goes on and they have the time like we had when the children go out and everyone talks to each other, greets each other. Guess what? I won't tell you. You know, they just sit there. Someone else will. Then the pastor comes up the front and he starts preaching. And as he starts preaching, he sees the man at the back who's been sitting on his own, who smells, who looks dirty, who nobody talked to. Starts walking to the front. Oh my goodness. And now everyone in the church is going, well, someone else will. And it's going to be the pastor who has to deal with this one because he's the only one standing up. What's he going to do? And the homeless man walks to the front, and this gets a bit difficult. One or two of the sort of bigger guys in the church thinking, maybe this is the time to sort of politely escort him out. This is going to get a bit embarrassing. And the man comes and stands right next to where I am here on, 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 by the pulpit. And do you know what the homeless man does? Takes off his coat. He pulls off his beard that is Velcro. He pulls off his wig that is disheveled. Guess who it is? It's one of the other pastors of the church. He's preaching on this passage and he wants to illustrate what we're like in our hearts. And so he becomes that homeless person who everyone rejects. And he acts out in front of the church. The very thing that we should struggle with, that we do struggle with. And he didn't need to say anything after he'd taken off his clothes, taken off his beard, taken off his hat. He just stood there and he saw everybody. Some people had a tear in their eye because they're moved by that story like I am. Other people felt guilty in their heart. Perfect illustration of this passage that James is speaking about. You know, power of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, when Jesus is speaking. And the, the Pharisee, the religious leader, says, who is my neighbor? And the point of the story is Jesus is saying, your neighbor is anybody in need who you come across. But you know the story of the Good Samaritan. People just walked on the other side. But one man didn't. Come back to verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? That day, that homeless person, as it were, could have been someone whom God has stirred their heart to come to church. What a brave thing to do, to walk into this kind of a church 
when your life's that kind of a mess. And maybe that day was the day when that person walked into church for the first time. How would we respond? Verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing this. In a similar story in Matthew 25, you know the famous parable of the sheep and the goats? Jesus is talking about people being separated, those who know and trust in Christ and respond to him and those who don't. And at the end, he's giving a little illustration of some way in which you can tell if this has happened. And he says in Matthew 25, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he says in verse 25, whatever you did not do for the least of the brothers and sisters of mine, you did not do for me. What Jesus is saying is that when you and I reach out and serve a vulnerable person, in a very special way, we're also serving the God who loves us. Jesus is present in that very act. And the reason I reflect on this, and the reason I put this little series together, a heart for, is to spend quite a bit of time over this summer reflecting on this. I've done some reading and thinking about it. And one of the things I thought about really convicted me. There's tons of need in our community. And the more you scratch under the surface, the more you see it. And because of perhaps some of my role, which is out there more, I see, I'm seeing more and more of it, and it moves you in your heart. And I was really conscious that the more I got involved in the mess and the vulnerability of other people's lives, the more deep in my heart, if I'm being really honest with you, I was saying, the problem is this kind of messes up my schedule. As a pastor, you need to try and have clear chunks of time, long time, to pray and to study and to read and think. You can't just put a sermon together in five minutes on the back of a, a scrap of paper. But interjected with those longer periods of study and thinking, there's lots of stuff that comes at you all the time. And the problem is sometimes you set aside some time to really focus and stuff comes at you. And sometimes when stuff comes at you, it can feel like a bit of an irritation. It messes up your schedule. Of course, I'm not talking about... Uh, time we plan to care for the needy I'm talking about spontaneous things when stuff just comes up and there's a choice what am I going to do you know in the 1990s people wore these bracelets WWJD what would Jesus do I found recently it's been really helpful just remembering that because when an irritating person comes a person who messes up the schedule or the diary comes into my life I'm trying by God's grace to remember that WWJD what would he do Of course, it's not about having a saver complex. We can't solve everyone's problems, and we don't always, and it's unwise to always say yes, of course. Sometimes we need to do what Jesus did, which is to retire to a quiet place. Sometimes it's wise to say, someone else will. Sometimes it's wise to say, I don't know if someone else will, but I can't. But, sometimes we ought to be prepared to have our schedules messed up, to step towards the person in pain. And the thing that's really tickled me a bit, I'm sad in my own heart, but it's tickled me, is sometimes I think what God has been saying is, Mark, are you about your agenda or are you about my agenda? Because the very person he puts in front of you in that moment who's vulnerable could be the very person he's saying, right now I want you to bless this person and love them. And here you are saying, I need to get one, two, three, four, five things done so I can free up some time to bless someone who's hurting. (laughs) And he just said, here is someone who's hurting. And you don't need to do all these other things first. I just give them to you in this moment and you can be a blessing to them. God moves people around. 
When we knock into people, it's not always coincidence. And sometimes he wants us to bless people in the moment. Jesus Christ calls us not to show favoritism. So I want to encourage us positively. Let's be people who love people. Whether they're the most smart, sorted people on earth or someone who comes in and sits at the back and feels a bit out of place in this place. Let's love people for who they are, not what they look like. And last thing. Jesus Christ wants you to experience joy. Ultimately, I don't want anybody leaving here with an induced sense of guilt. I need to do more because the pastor's making me feel guilty. Neither do I want anyone to leave here with a sense of ultimately leaving here saying, I want to care for the vulnerable because it's a responsibility, though it is that. My prayer has been all week that we would all leave here wanting to help those who are vulnerable because our heart has been changed. It's not about guilt. It's not even about responsibility. It's about having our hearts transformed by the love of God. And the amazing thing is, when we come third, that's the place of great joy. You've got 613 Old Testament laws. They're summarized in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Jesus then summarized the Ten Commandments in two commandments. What are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And the more that we understand that, and the more that we respond to that, we put God first, we put other people second. Guess what? We come third. And the world says, if you're third, you're missing out. But God says, if you're third, that's the place of true joy, because you are then living out what it means to be made in the image of God. Because God didn't consider equality. Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But what did he do? He humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And why did he go to the cross? Because he loves you and he loves me. So the more that we serve other people, the more that we have a heart for those who are broken, who are vulnerable, the more we are reflecting in our own lives the very heart of the God that we say and profess to serve. So here we go, three positive reasons to have a heart for the vulnerable. Have a heart for the vulnerable because God had a heart for you when you were vulnerable. The spiritual brokenness that could only be fixed by Christ on the cross. Have a heart for the vulnerable because God calls us not to show favoritism. What a joy to be able to look at someone and not judge them on what they look like or what they smell like or how successful they've been. But to judge them as God judges them because you see their heart and they're made in the image of God and they're special. And Jesus Christ wants you to experience joy. And the more that I understand how much God has loved me, and the more that that love is then reflected in the way I love those around me, the more I'll come third in my life. And that's a really good place to be. Because that, Jesus says, is the place of real joy. God doesn't like religion. Not man-centered religion. And neither should we. What he loves is a heart that's been so transformed by his love that it reaches out to the vulnerable around us with that love. And what better way of doing that as a church than praying for each other that we together would have a real heart for those who are vulnerable. And my prayer is that we will be that church this week. Should we pray together? Just give us a moment of quiet to reflect. And we're going to share in the Lord's Supper shortly, which is a perfect expression of the love of God. But just in a moment of quiet as I prepare for that, why don't you just consider how God has spoken to you and ask God to give you a heart for the vulnerable. Maybe if you just continue in a 
a moment of prayer in the quietness of your heart. Just think of the words of the Lord Jesus when with his disciples at the Last Supper, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Friends, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we still turned our back on the love that God has for us, that was the time when Christ died for us. And when Jesus talks about his body being the bread, the bread being a symbol of his body being broken, he's talking about what's soon to happen to him when he goes to the cross and he is broken. He is cut off from his father. He experiences for the first time in eternity what it is to not be loved by God. But he did it because he loves you and me. Father, we thank you for the extraordinary love that you've shown us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that while we were spiritually vulnerable, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, you reached down into our broken hearts and you offered to repair them. You offered to forgive us. You offered to give us new life and new joy. And I pray if that's an old truth that's gone stale, that you would reignite it in our heart. And for some here, if that's a new truth that's not yet been accepted, I pray that you would show people how much you love us. Amen.